0: Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, everyone, uh, we are in a new year now, according to the Roman calendar. Uh, Today is uh, January 1st, according to, again, the, the Roman calendar. And I welcome everyone that's listening to me. My name is Kennard. I am your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. Uh, today we're going to finish up on the Bible study that I had last week. Uh, I wanted to summarize, um, every day is Christmas Day for Uncle Pete, that article out of the Chicago Tribune. I didn't have enough time and I had to rush. I hate when I have to do that, but uh, hopefully in this program you won't have to rush. Anyway, I wanted to read this uh, beautiful article uh, from the Chicago Tribune, it shows, us what Christmas, I guess, should be about, even though, again, uh, I have explained in my uh, recent broadcast about Christmas, the truth about Christmas, the, the primary reason, other than the fact that it has pagan roots, um, the reason why I don't celebrate it is because it's linked with a lie, the lie of a Santa Claus, a fat man that comes down a chimney and gives gifts. Uh, to little kids that behave themselves and to adults uh, And that is not true We know, at least I hope that most of us know <laughs> That Santa Claus does not exist And is linked with a lie And I did prove in the program through the scriptures Not my own reasoning That God does not want to be associated uh, with anything That has anything to do with lying Whether it's a white lie a black lie Or in-between lie A lie is a lie, it's not the truth and God hates that. So anyway, and then another lie that's associated with Christmas is the fact that December 25th is definitely not the, the birthday of Christ. If you do some research on that, um, he was born around September, or what the Jews call the month of Tishri, around September, October. Although he may have been conceived, Around the winter months That doesn't get justified the fact, oh, we should celebrate Christmas Because uh, it's linked with a lie And 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 it has uh, pagan elements uh, Sure, Jeremiah chapter 10 Is not specifically and in detail And right down to the core Talking about a Christmas tree However, elements of the Christmas tree Is in that scripture It talks about taking a, a tree down and, and standing it up And putting silver and gold on it Okay, so <laughs> That definitely has some similarities to the christmas tree many many people that want to justify the observance of christmas want to state hey uh the christmas tree is not definitively being described in this chapter in jeremiah chapter 10 which is true but that doesn't mean that some similarities aren't described it is and we shouldn't have any kind of linkage of anything that has any similarities to wickedness so and you know Our people, especially in this country, have a problem with that. Something that's pleasurable, that seems to be right, must be right, and that's not true. The Bible reveals to us what's right and what's wrong, and we need to obey that. Anyway, let me read this article, most of it anyway, about what the spirit of giving should be about. It shouldn't be just on one day, even though I did explain in my last program that and I think the previous one about the truth about Christmas, we spent according to the uh, retail uh, National Retail Association, we spent um close to four hundred and fifty billion dollars that's what would be billion dollars on Christmas. And I, I did state uh, I, I actually state this many times in my program, it'll only take about twenty billion dollars, that's what for be, to eliminate uh, poverty in this country and it'll it'll take an additional forty seven billion dollars, that's what for be to eliminate uh, starvation, uh, illiteracy, uh, health care for all. We would have all that worldwide. So I estimate about close to 67 to $68 billion dollars it would take annually every year to eliminate uh, poverty and hunger and, and uh, health uh, medical issues um, with not being able to afford health care and so forth, enough water for everyone, clean water, every year. And yet we're spending about, let me see, let me use my calculator in my brain, at least eight times as much, or at least seven to eight times as much during the Christmas season. And there's no justification for that and and no excuse for that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, As I'm going to prove to you today, we live in a very selfish society today. Everyone's into themselves, mostly. Very few people are thinking about other people. Everybody's just focused on their interests and their wants and needs And that's the reason why uh, you're going to continue to see poverty uh, worldwide You're going to continue continue to see wars Because they're all linked with selfishness Consuming things upon your own lust As I'm going to uh, describe today in this program But anyway, let me get to this article And then we're going to get to the, uh, the core of our Bible study today Which is uh, entitled uh, Is It a Sin to Eat Too Much? As you're going to see Uh, After I get through with this article, that reading the article, that eating has a lot to do. Overeating has a lot to do with selfishness and and, and greed and and coveting, and can cause you to sin, and will cause you to sin, and affect others. All right. Anyway, this article by the Chicago Tribune. Every day is Christmas day for Uncle Pete. That's his name, Uncle Pete. Says year-round Santa Claus makes holiday special for hundreds of less fortunate now. In all likelihood, Uncle Pete doesn't understand the things that I understand and and some others about Christmas, so he's doing the best he can. And if that's the case, God is not going to hold this against him. He's doing the best that he can. All right, um, this article is by Manya, a Bratchier Tribune reporter, December 24, 2010. It says, Uncle Pete arrived at Marillac Social Center like Santa Claus. He didn't wear a red suit, and he didn't ride a sleigh. His sweatshirt said... Valparaiso Grandpa, and he was driving a minivan, a minivan, but like Santa, Uncle Pete came bearing a bundle of gifts, and like Santa, he remains a man of mystery to most people he meets on his, grounds, on his rounds, which on a chilly December morning brought him to this early childhood care center on Chicago's west side, and I used to live in Chicago, so I know how the west side is, So, and this guy is 88 years old, at 88, Uncle Pete is still spry, though he hobbles and... Some days his arthritis bites when he's lugging bags of toys and trees. Now picture this: this is an old man, 88 years old. He's not thinking of retiring like a lot of Americans are thinking of. Oh, let's retire. It's a sin to to retire from work, folks. And I understand retiring from the in- institutionalized slavery that many Americans are under. You know, going to to work and coming home, and and many Americans because of lack of knowledge are, are working jobs they don't like, or uh, did not have the proper foundation uh, to be able to uh, get the proper education based on what they really are interested in to enjoy their jobs. And, you know, God wants us to enjoy our jobs, and there's a way to do that. And, and if those listening to me desire to, if you if you have a crummy job right now and, and you don't like it, uh, please email me at canard at mercifulserviceofgod.com, and uh, I can counsel you on how, on how to find uh the right type of job, and also counsel you on career development, on finding out where your real vocational interests are. And then once you find that out, what you do is get the required education to produce what I call a livable, underscore, or or underline that, livable income, where you can pay your bills and have some money left over to help yourself and others. That's the goal, financially, or should be anyway. Anyway, this guy is 88 years old, and it's just amazing here. As volunteers plucked packages out of a giant black bag, Uncle Pete proudly watched the children wriggle on the rug and rattle their packages until his eyes rested on the five-year-old who sat empty-handed and forlorn. You're coming up real soon, he assured her, patting her on the back with a trembling hand. Two minutes later, Uncle Pete delivered a pile of presents into her arms, and her worry dissolved into a smile when teacher... Tisha Williams spontaneously threw her arms around him and thanked Uncle Pete's eyes welled up with tears. This is what it's all about, and he's right. He said in a broken whisper, it's about helping people. And in Ephesians 4, verse 28, it says the reason why you work is so that you can provide for those who are in need. And he understands this, and this is what pure religion is all about. Leading up to Christmas, Uncle Pete diligently collected toys, coats, and names of children who should receive them, naughty or nice, it didn't matter. Uncle Pete knew they deserve Christmas. He's our own secret Santa all year round, Maureen Halligan, executive director of Marillac Social Center, a West Side Collaborative that offers a shelter for women and children, senior center and early childhood education. So, says Uncle Pete, that's how he's known around Chicago, no last name. When sisters, secretaries, store clerks and strangers greet Uncle Pete, he often greets them in return by reaching into his pocket for a coupon or gift certificate. He only wants God's name attached to his work. What a man. He agreed to share his story and have his picture taken only on terms of partial anonymity and only because he hopes his story he hopes his story will inspire other people to give year round. And that's the reason why I believe God is inspiring me to read this. So it can inspire me and those who are listening to me to follow this man's example and to give, not just on Christmas, but year-round. You look at your hands and say, what can I do with my hands? Oh, what these hands can do for you. You'll be amazed, he said. They help you do the work of God. On a typical day, Uncle Pete wakes before sunrise and attends Mass at St. John Burr Buff. Catholic Church in Niles where he was a custodian for 26 years. Before he steps out of the cozy church into the brisk dawn air, parishioners often slip him envelopes stuffed with cash or gift cards. People know giving it to Uncle Peter gets to the right person, says the Reverend Tom May, pastor of St. John "Brebreth. People consider him to be a living saint. Of course, a saint is a righteous person. I find a man to be totally amazing. If you are a Christian, you should be concerned about the poor. True, true, true. He takes it to a whole other level. That's true as well. Just as the sun creeps over the horizon, Uncle Pete, Uncle Pete and a volunteer chauffeur hop into his minivan and start making the rounds, feeding the homeless, dropping off diapers, distributing coats, delivering pastries and produce to a home for elderly nuns from Rogers Park to the west side. Armed with a clipboard, he checks each stop off his list and barks out directions to the next. Pete brings Christ to people uh, today, May said. He is Christ to those people, truly living out his faith, one based in service to others. And that's, again, that's what life is all about, ladies and gentlemen, service to others. Raised the youngest of eight during the Great Depression, Uncle Pete learned at an early age that one doesn't have to be wealthy. Let me underscore this. One doesn't have to be wealthy to serve others when the family prepared baskets of food for the poorest parishioners at Queen of Angels Catholic Church. A call to the priesthood lasted through World War II, but it faded once he returned home. He met and married his wife and moved to the north suburbs to start a family. The disappointment of discovering they couldn't bear children still brings tears to his eyes. The joy they felt when they received their adopted son and daughter still moves him to tears, too. They adopted their son from Catholic Charities in 1955. Three years later, they arrived at St. Vincent de Paul Chapel, where Uncle Pete washed as a nun, leaned over the communion rail and placed their new infant daughter in her new brother's arms. We could never repay Catholic charities for what they gave to me. Those two lies, he said. Now, long after he became a father, Uncle Pete lost his job when the factory where he worked on Chicago's West Side closed. When the priest of a new Niles parish under construction discovered Uncle Pete was out of a job, he offered him one. Uncle Pete served at St. John Brebus Church. And school custodian for 26 years. Working at St. John Rebuff with children, that was the biggest blessing I ever had, he said. It was also a way to fulfill that calling he felt years ago because God had always provided. Uncle Pete devoted his life to providing for others, dozens, hundreds, thousands of others while preserving their dignity. He approaches life, I think as if everyone is family. Well, the Bible says that. <laughs> we all come from God. God created us through one man. Now, of course, you can become a child of the devil. If you don't obey him, you could become a bastard, you know, so to speak, or just be separate from God. But originally, God looks at us as all being a part of, of a family, his family. Now, he says he approaches life, I think, as if everyone is family says Uncle Pete's niece, Sister Judith Zunzius, a a nun who now serves as a sub prioress at St. Scholastica Monastery in Chicago's Rogers Park neighborhood. As people have interceded for him in his life, he might be one of the people he now serves. While still a custodian, Uncle Pete occasionally slipped away to pick up infants from the hospital and fared them to Catholic charities where they were assigned a caregiver, they were adopted. On the way, he was swing by the zoo for a preview of the fun that awaited them with their future parents. Trips to the zoo were were a favorite pastime for Uncle Pete and his children. In the 1980s, a sister and brother enrolled at St. John Brea, I guess, B-R-E-B-E-A-U-F, both suffering from uh, heart and lung defects. They both died before reaching fourth grade. Though she had heard many tales about Uncle Pete, their mother Anna LaCorta met him for the first time when she showed up at the hospital the day her son Anthony collapsed. He stopped in periodically until the boy died the next day. So, you know, this article goes on and on and on. I can read it, but the point of the matter is this guy really, really, really cares about people. And he states here, I still feel my wish of doing God's work, Uncle Pete said. Maybe that's why he's not taking me so fast. I have a lot of work to do yet. When God does take him, Uncle Pete wants his saint. Malachy choir to sing at his funeral, too. He also wants the pallbearers to wheel his coffin down the walkway between the school and the church. This is already... this is There is already brick on that walkway engraved with his name and a message. Uncle Pete, a man who made life a little easier to live. So, you know, what a guy. What a man. And then right here, it says in 1992, Uncle Pete overcame colon cancer himself. And actually. Based on what he was doing here, uh, there's a scripture that's popping in my mind here. Let's turn to Psalm 41, because God promises, if you care about people, he promises to heal you of your afflictions and diseases, and that's obviously what has occurred for Uncle Pete here. Psalm 41, verse 1, I'm going to read this in an easy-to-read version. Uh it says, to the director, Psalm 41, verse 1, remember the, the book of Psalms really is a book of... Um, uh, music, of words to be played to music, in addition to being prophetic music as well, or, or prophecy. But anyway, Psalm 41, verse 1, and also uh, a book of wisdom. Psalm 41, verse 1, to the director Song of David, those who help the poor su- succeed will get many blessings. So it says, those who help, and this is in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, those who help the poor succeed, those who help the poor succeed will get many blessings. When trouble comes, the Lord will save them. Verse 2, the Lord will protect them and save their lives. He will bless them in in this land. He will not let their enemies harm them. Verse 3 of Psalm 41, when they are sick in bed, the Lord will give them strength and make them well. And then verse 4, I say, Lord, be kind to me. I sin against you, but forgive me and make me well. So that definitely applied to uh, Mr. Uncle Pete here. And it states right here, says, Uncle Pete showed me the face of someone doing things selflessly, selflessly, not selfishly, but selflessly, day after day, and for no other reason other than doing it. He's probably the closest person I know that has the hands of God. So this is a shame, too, that you know these type of people, like Uncle Pete, you don't find too often in this world. And if everyone acted like Uncle Pete, we would have no wars. There would not be uh, any selfishness. Everyone would get along with each other, et cetera. But unfortunately, we don't have many Uncle Pete's, ladies and gentlemen. And that's for a time in the future where, where the population of the world will be like Uncle Pete one day, where everyone is caring about one another. But I just read that to you. That's what we should all be striving to do is to be like Uncle Pete and to share and give toward one another and consider each and every one of us as family. And Christmas, unfortunately, does not – I mean, some people like Uncle Pete do that on Christmas, but but basically the majority, as, as revealed, with about the amount of money that people spend on merchandise, is focuses on money, not toward giving. If people gave like Uncle Pete on Christmas, if everybody did celebrate Christmas, it would be a major impact around the world, and it would eliminate poverty just on that one day uh, and, and other uh, – Deficiencies that people have worldwide, but of course we all know that doesn't happen on Christmas. Christmas, if if you want to know the truth about it, is it, it, based on selfishness. It's not really based on on Christ or or giving. Even though some people, because of lack of knowledge, like Uncle Pete, do the best they can, you know, and God is going to bless him, and he's closer to the kingdom of God than than some people that righteously trumpet about keeping God's holy days and so forth, but yet they don't. They don't really practice pure religion, which is caring about people. You have to do both. But for those people that don't don't keep the Sabbath for the holy days, God, because of ignorance and don't they don't know any better, God's not going to hold it up again. You're only responsible for what you know. You're only responsible for what you know. So anyway, let's get to the, the title of this Bible study, the focus on the title. is: Is It Wrong to Eat Too Much? And I did talk about in Leviticus 19, verse 18, it states that we should learn to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. And then I quoted last week about the fact that God wants us to take care of our bodies, because if we don't, He will destroy us. Uh, in First Corinthians chapter three, verse 16 and 17, and then uh, First Corinthians chapter six, verse 19 to 20, I quoted those scriptures last week. Now, one of the things that I'm starting to realize now about being a glutton or eating too much, it can cause you to turn away from God. And I did point this out about gluttony, what it really means. Uh, it, it means uh, the Hebraic way or Hebrew way of looking at it. It says, a verb meaning to be vile, frivolous, gluttonous, worthless to despise. It describes an especially serious corrupt, corruption of character in a worthless, gluttonous son. I think I quoted this scripture, Uh, no I didn't, we'll we'll, we'll do it today. So that's an example Uh, in that scripture, it talks about one that drinks and eats too much. All right, so let's, um, then another thing I I, want to quote here real quick before we get into uh, quoting a lot of scriptures here is, uh, if you go to this website, it's, it's called Get America Fit Foundation, Making America Stronger. And I'm reading it now. It says obesity-related statistics in America. And if you want to go to this website, it's www.getamericafit.org. And it said, did you know obesity is the number two cause of preventable death in the United States? Sixty million people 20 years and older are obese. Sixty million Americans 20 years or older are obese. Nine million children and teens ages 6 to 19 are overweight. Being overweight or obese increases the risk of health conditions and diseases, including breast cancer, coronary heart disease, type 2 diabetes, sleep problems, gallbladder disease, osteoarthritis, colon cancer, hypertension, and stroke. So it's very, and this is what God means when if you don't take care of the temple, your body, he will destroy you or you will destroy yourself. But he has laws set in place that if you violate your body, that's what's going to happen. So, and then uh, here are some various statistics I'm just going to just talk about here. USA, or or read to you, USA obesity rates reach epidemic proportions. Fifty-eight million are overweight. So that's 58 million people are overweight, and that's before you become obese. Fifty-eight million people in this country are overweight. Forty million are obese. Three million are morbidly obese, meaning that dangerously obese. 8 out of 10, that's 80% over 25 years of age is overweight. So 8 out of 10 or 80% of people over 25 years of age is overweight. That is a a horrifying statistic. Let me repeat that. 8 out of 10 or 80% over the age of 25 is overweight. 78% of Americans not meeting basic activity-level recommendations. So 78%, that's 78% of Americans are not meeting basic activity-level recommendations. Now, I just learned something about myself. Um, I've been guilty of this, and (laughs) I had the metabolism of a 59-year-old man, and I just found that out, and ever since I found that out, uh, I started exercising consistently again. And part of that exercise... Uh, program should involve cardio, at least thirty minutes of cardio, whether it's basketball, playing tennis, doing tai chi, uh, or doing some kind of aerobic activity, and then also thirty minutes of weightlifting. And and so, uh, if people want information about how to do that, I can suggest um, uh, one guy that has a. Uh, it's called Fitness Made Simple, and he he is an advocate of weightlifting, and he has very good. Programs to show you how to do that, and I've already seen a difference in my body in the way it looks already. I'm 22 pounds overweight, so I'm, I'm not obese. I'm overweight, and uh, my goal is to get down to um, I'm a, 202 pounds. I need to be down to at least 180 pounds. That's what my physical um, a told me, or physical advisor told me at the a Jewish Community Center. He told me that that's what I need to do is get down to my get down to 180 pounds. So I'm um, getting my act together. My wife is. Uh, we're both overweight. We're not obese, but we're overweight, but we don't want to be overweight either. So we have to practice what we preach, and I can truly say we both are doing that now. So, And we're trying to encourage other people to do that as well. It says 25% are completely sedentary. In other words, you just sit around and do nothing. 76% increase in type 2 diabetes in adults 30 to 40 since 1990, obesity-related diseases. 80% of type 2 diabetes related to obesity. So 80% of all type 2 diabetes is related to obesity. 70% of cardiovascular disease is related to obesity. <laughs> all this is, is related to overeating, and overeating is not just sitting down and eating 10 hot dogs. It's also being lazy and not exercising and just eating, eating, eating. You know, you have to when you, when you. It's just like when you put gas in a in, in a car. You have to put down your foot on the ignition, right, for the gas to burn. Well, same analogy should be that that should apply toward eating. You just can't just eat and just sit around and be uh, sedentary. You can't you can't do that. You can't do that. You're going to kill yourself. It says 40 percent breast and colon cancer diagnosis among obese individuals. So anyway, this is all bad news, ladies and gentlemen. We are, are just here. Here's, here's the cost right here. It says uh, obesity-related disease costs overwhelm healthcare system. Type two diabetes is sixty three point one four billion dollars. Osteoporosis is seventeen point two billion dollars. Hypertension three point two three billion dollars. Heart disease six point nine nine billion dollars. Postmenopausal breast cancers, $2.32 billion. Colon cancer, $2.78 billion. And then uh, endometrial cancers, $790 million. That's with an M. And then right here, the cost of lost productivity because of uh, obesity or being overweight. Work days lost, $39.3 million. Physician office visits, $6.7 million. And it just goes on and on and on here. And... Uh, Right here it says 25% of all white children overweight. Uh, 2001, 33% African American Hispanic children overweight. 2001. So it, it's just it's just a sad case, folks, and we are really 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 in a serious situation here as far as our health. And we need to change. And God, I'm going to show you today. He prophesied that we'd be like this. <laughs> he calls us Jezroon, We wax fat. And and that's the kind of people that we are today. I mean, we, we are, most of us past 25 years old are overweight. And, and it, it, we, we are fat people, and when you get fat, you think fat, and, and you can't think properly. So it affects, as I'm going to show you today, through the scriptures here. Okay, so those are some statistics here, and let's get to the biblical facts show you again. God knows the end from the beginning. Alright, Matthew chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to read this in an easy-to-read version of the Bible. Matthew 4, verse 4. We have uh, an hour left here. It says, Jesus answered him. And it's an easy-to-read version of the Bible. I'll tell you if I'm using another version. The Scriptures say, it is not just bread that keeps people alive. Their lives depend on what God says. So we shouldn't focus so much on on food and bread. We should focus also on what God says. All right? Now, Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 3, this is where you got that scripture from. Let's look at the context of it. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 3. Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 3. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, you must obey all the commandments that I give you today, because then you will live and grow to become a great nation. You will get the land that the Lord promised to your ancestors. Verse 2, And you must remember the entire trip that the Lord your God has led you through these 40 years in the desert. He was testing you. He wanted to make you humble. He wanted to know what is in your mind or heart. He wanted to know if you would obey his commands. Verse 3 of Deuteronomy chapter 8. He humbled you and let you be hungry. Yes, God sometimes will do that to wake us up. Then he fed you with manna, something you did not know about before. It was something your ancestors had never seen. Why did the Lord do this? Because he wanted you to know that it is not just bread that keeps people alive. People's lives depend on what the Lord says. And that's where Christ got that from. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1. These are the commands, the laws, and the rules that the Lord your God told me to teach you. Obey these laws in the land that you are entering to live in. Now, this applies again to not only. Jews but all the other tribes of Israel and I've explained many times that we are part of the tribes of Israel if you don't understand that go to www.britam.org one of the characteristics of the people of Israel is that we're fat (laughs) and we are fat people folks and fat and rich there's no other people on the planet earth that describes that uh, that fits that characteristic other than us we're fat and we're rich the Britons, uh, people in Northwestern Europe, and, and the United and Americans, and uh, Canadians, fit that description perfectly. All right, Australians and uh, South Africans, and New Zealand folks. Anyway, verse two. You, I just described to you all the richest regions of the world. Verse two. You and your descendants must respect the Lord your God as long as you live. And let's understand too. Another characteristic is the fact that Bible is distributed the most among those regions around the world as well. Anyway, you and your descendants must respect the Lord your God as long as you live. You must obey all his laws and commands that I give you. If you do this, you will have a long life in that new land. Israelites, listen carefully and obey these laws. Then everything will be fine with you. You will have many children, and you will get the land filled with many good things, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised. Listen, people of Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is the only God. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Always remember these commands that I give you today. Be sure to teach them to your children. Talk about these commands when you sit in your house, and I know Americans don't do this, most of them. And when you walk on the road, talk about them when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them, We, you know what we do <laughs> in comparison to this? We look at the television like this. We talk about the television when we sit down and when we rise up. <laughs> and that, that, We don't focus on God's commandments like that, Verse or entertainment. That's, that's what we focus on, or movies. Tie them on your hands and wear them on your foreheads to help remember my teachings. People get all upset about, oh, that's extreme, but they don't think it's extreme to look at movies for several hours during the day, or... Uh, uh, talk about those things uh, when they rise up and when they sit down, but when it talks about God's law, oh, that's extreme. Anyway, verse nine: Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Well, I see graffiti and and uh, all gang symbols on on viaducts and and and, and, all, and people uh, do all kinds of things uh, in violation of this, but of course they wouldn't write God's commandments on the. Doorposts of their houses and their gates. Oh, forbid. Verse 10 The Lord your God made a promise to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the model family. Abraham is our example. Isaac and Jacob. That's why God talks about him so much because all three of them did the best they could to obey God and God was pleased. That's the reason why He always talks about I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you want to know how to raise a family, if you want to know how to care about people, And do it the right way Study the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob Anyway He promised to give you this land And he will give it to you He will give you great and rich cities That you did not build He will give you houses full of good things That you did not put there He will give you wells that you did not dig He will give you vineyards and olive trees That you did not plant And you will have plenty to eat This applies to anyone around the world If you just obey his law Because he plays no favorites Uh, Deuteronomy 6, verse 12, But be careful, don't forget the Lord. You were slaves in Egypt, but he brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt is a type of the world as well. Verse 13, Respect the Lord your God and serve only him. You must use only his name to make promises. You must not follow other gods. You must not follow the gods of the people who live around you. The Lord your God is always with you, and he hates you. For his people to worship other gods. So if you follow those other gods, the Lord will become very angry with you. He will destroy you from the face of the earth. You must not test the Lord your God like you tested him at Masa. And uh, we, we're going to go over that, what happened there. Um, yeah, after I get through reading this. It says, you must not test the Lord your God like you tested him at Masa. You must be sure to obey the commands of the Lord your God. You must follow all the teachings and laws he has given you. Now, it's interesting that what he's talking about, what happened at Masa, is related to uh, a physical substance to, to maintain us, which is water. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 1. And an easy-to-read version of the Bible, the Israelites left the western Sinai desert. They traveled all together from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at R- Raphedim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So what did the people do? They start complaining, verse 2. So they turned against Moses and started arguing with him. They said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why have you turned against me? Why are you testing the Lord? Verse 3. But the people were very thirsty, so they continued complaining to Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Did you bring us out here so that we, our children, and our cattle will all die without water? So Moses cried to the Lord, what can I do with these people? (laughs) They are ready to kill me. The Lord said to Moses, go before the Israelites. Take some of the elders of the people with you. Carry your walking stick with you. This is the stick that you use when you hit the Nile River. Okay, and then I will stand before you on a rocket horde, hit that rock with the walking stick, and water will come out of it. Then the people can drink. Moses did these things, and the elders saw it. Moses named that place Meribah and Massah because this was the place that the Israelites turned against him and tested the Lord. The people wanted to know if the Lord was with them or not. So God doesn't like to be tested. He doesn't like to be doubted, ladies and gentlemen, and that's an example. But I want to bring this out because it involves eating and drinking, okay, and in this case water. But, you know, God doesn't want us focusing so much on that. He wants us to focus on him and trust him. And if we trust him, he's going to provide all our needs. Numbers, chapter 11. Numbers, chapter 11. And here we go again. The people start complaining about food. Numbers chapter 11, starting in uh, verse, uh, well, I'll start in verse 1. Numbers chapter 11, verse 1, and this is going to be until verse 35. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible, the people started complaining about their troubles. And God does not like us complaining about our troubles, folks. He does not like that. Believe me, I know from experience. The Lord heard their complaints. He heard these things, and he became angry. There we go. He becomes angry when we start complaining. Fire from the Lord burned among the people. The fire burned some of the areas at the edge of the camp. So the people cried to Moses for help. He prayed to the Lord, and the fire stopped burning. So, you know, it states in in, 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 the, in the Bible that God is a consuming fire, and and he is, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. And you just do not want to get him angry. Verse 2 of Numbers chapter 11. So the people cried to Moses for help. He prayed to the Lord, and the fire stopped burning. Verse 3, so that place was called Teborah. The people gave the place that name because the Lord caused a fire to burn in their camp. The foreigners who had joined the Israelites began wanting other things to eat. Soon all the Israelites began complaining again. The people said, we want to eat meat. Verse 5, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt. The fish cost us nothing. We also had good vegetables like cucumbers, melon, chives, onions, and garlic. Verse 6, But now we have lost our strength. We never eat anything, only this manna. Verse 7, the manna was like coriander seeds, and it looked like sap from a tree. The people gathered the manna, then they used rocks to crush it and cooked it in a pot. Or they ground it into flour and made thin cakes with it. The cakes tasted like sweet cakes cooked with olive oil. That tasted, you know... I it's because of my spiritual growth I can say this, but if I was out in the desert and rescued like that and I, all I had was that, I would do the best I can not to complain. I, I'm just glad I'm alive, but unfortunately the Israelites didn't feel that way, the majority of them anyway. Uh, verse 9, the manna fell on the ground each night when the ground became wet with dew. Verse 10, Moses heard the people complaining. People from every family were sitting by their tents and complaining. So the whole camp was complaining basically. The Lord became very angry, and understand, this is in the context of food. The Lord became very angry, and this made Moses very upset. Verse 11, he asked the Lord, why did you bring this trouble on me? (laughs) I am just serving. What did I do wrong? What did I do to upset you? Why did you give me responsibility over all these people? Verse 12, you know that I am not the father of all these people. You know that I did not give birth to them, but I must take care of them, Like a nurse carrying a baby in her arms. Why do you force me to do this? Why do you force me to carry them to the land that you promised to our fathers? And, you know, you can talk to God like this, folks. Uh, You do it out of respect, but I I do talk to God in a, uh, let's put it this way, in a uh, bold way without getting him angry. At least I try not to get him angry. (laughs) But this is a way to do it. And God understands, hey, you know, he understands we're not him. We're not perfect. Uh, We make mistakes. And, and and we are weak compared to him. So he understands. He has compassion and mercy. And he did listen to Moses. Verse 13 of Numbers chapter 11. says, I don't have enough meat for all these people. And he knows that. God knows that. And they continue complaining to me. They say, give us meat to eat. Verse 14 of Numbers. I cannot take care of all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. Verse 15. If you plan to continue giving me their troubles, kill me now. And I have actually asked God to kill me uh, when I was, um, I think it was 16, 17 years old, and I, I just didn't understand about a lot of things in life, and I was at a crossroads, and I said, Father, if you just, if you don't reveal yourself to me, if you don't give me the ability to understand the Bible, or just kill me. So I, I felt the same way Moses felt in Numbers 11, verse 15. If you plan to continue giving me the troubles, kill me. Now, even though I that wasn't the reason why I wanted him to kill, I wanted him to kill me because if you're just going to not just reveal yourself to me, then I, I'd rather not live. But anyway. If you accept me as your servant, let me die now. Then I will be finished with all my troubles. <laughs> In a sense, I was troubled, too, and I wanted to die as well because I was troubled because my parents were telling me things and, and, and you know, bless their soul, they just didn't know any better. and I found out some of the things they told me wasn't true, and I I, I just didn't understand that. I thought uh, parents are supposed to tell you what's right, Um, and I tell you some things that are wrong, you know, and... and I just don't understand understand it now, but I didn't understand it back then. Anyway, Numbers 11, verse 16, The Lord said to Moses, Bring to me 70 of the elders of Israel. These men are the leaders among the people. Bring them to the meeting tent. Let them stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there. The Spirit is on you now, but I will also give some of that Spirit to them. Then they will help you take care of the people. In this way, you will not have to be responsible for these people alone. So he had compassion and mercy on Moses. Verse 18, Tell the people this. Make yourselves ready for tomorrow. Tomorrow you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you cried out and said, we need meat to eat. It was better for us in Egypt, so now the Lord will give you meat, and you will eat it. Verse 19, you will eat it for more than one or two or five or ten or even twenty days. You will eat meat. You will eat that meat for a whole month until you are sick of it. This will happen to you because you complain against the Lord. He lives among you and knows what you need. But you cried and complained to him. You said, "Why did we ever leave Egypt?" So there, it wasn't a fact that their request was wrong. It was their attitude. They complained to him. They should have respectfully and humbly come to him with their request. Instead of why did you ever, you know, of you know that that would make anybody angry. Here you are getting these, getting people out from a far worse situation than what they're in what they were in presently in in, in the desert eating manna, at least they weren't slaves anymore. That's far worse being a slave than eating manna every day. But they didn't understand that, obviously, and God got upset rightfully for that. Numbers 11, verse 21, Moses said, There are 600,000 soldiers here, and you say I will give them enough meat to eat for a whole month. And now Moses started doubting God now. Yeah, verse 22 if we were to kill all the sheep and cattle that would still not be enough to feed as many people for a month and if we caught all the fish in the sea it would not be enough for them verse 23 but the Lord said to Moses don't limit my power you will see that I can do what I say I can do verse 24 so Moses went out to speak with the people he told them what the Lord said then he gathered 70 of the elders together and told them to stand around the tent verse 25 of Numbers then the Lord came down in the cloud. And spoke to Moses. He put on the 70 elders some of the same spirit that was on Moses. After that spirit came down on them, they began to prophesy. But that was the only time they ever did this. Verse 26. Two of the elders, Eldad and Medad, did not go out the tent. Their names went on, on were, were on the uh, list of elders. But they stayed in the camp. But the spirit also came on them, and they began prophesying in the camp. <clears throat> Verse 27. A young man ran and told Moses. The man said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of a nun, said to Moses, Moses, sir, you must stop them. Joshua had been Moses' helper since Joshua was a boy. But Moses answered, Are you afraid the people will think that I am not the leader now? I wish that all lords, the Lord's people were able to prophesy or preach. I wish that the Lord would put his spirit on on all of them. What an attitude that Moses had. Anyway, verse 30. Then Moses, he didn't want to be the top honcho. He wanted help. He wanted to be have assistance. Anyway, Numbers eleven verse thirty. Then Moses and the leaders of Israel went back to the camp. Then the Lord made a powerful wind to blow in from the sea and it blew quail into into the uh, the area around the camp. There were so many birds that the ground was covered. They there were about three feet deep on the ground. There were quail in every direction as far as a man can walk in one day. They went out and gathered quail all that all day. Now look at their attitude here. The, the attitude of lust and coveting. Numbers 11, verse 32. They went out and gathered quail all that day and all that night. So they worked during the day and the night. There's 12 hours in the day and 12 hours in the night. And they gathered quail all the next day too. The smallest amount anyone gathered was sixty bushels. Then the people spread the quail meat all around the camp to dry in the sun. People began to eat the meat, but the Lord became very angry. He became airing angry with their lustful attitude like like food was the most important thing in their entire lives, you know. And while the meat was still in their mouths, before the people could finish eating it, the Lord calls the people to become very sick and die. So the people named that place Kirbroth Hatava because they there they buried those who had the strong desire for meat, and I would say a, a, a healthy desire because they were just going nuts because of food. So, you know, you know that God does not want us to lust for food like that, like that's the most important thing in the world, and God did not like that. That's the reason why I had to read this scripture because it shows that God wants us to eat, but He doesn't want us to eat like that like like food is the most important thing in the world, and when people overeat, that's their attitude about food. It's the most important thing in the world so much that they sin in the process they they covet they have the wrong type of desire for food. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 14 to 20. I have to speed it up here a little bit here. Deuteronomy 32. Now, I just want to remind you that this is a prophecy for the end time because he told Moses here, see, in in verse 31 of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 31, verse 29, says, I know that after my death, this is Moses talking to uh, the people, you will become evil. You will turn from the way I commanded you to follow. Terrible things will happen to you in the future. And then in in the uh, Hebraic version and and, the King James Version says, in the latter days, which is uh, a phrase talking about the times that we're living in today. Terrible things will happen to you in the future because you want to do what the Lord says is wrong. Because you want to do what the Lord says is wrong. You will make him angry because of the evil things you do. So all the Israelites were gathered together, and Moses sang this whole song for them. And this is a song, but it's a prophetic song for the end times and for their times leading up to the end times. All right. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 1, it says, Skies, listen, and I will speak. Earth, hear the words of my mouth. So this is a message for all of mankind. So now that we have the context here, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 14. I'm going to make a point here in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says, He gave his people butter from the herd And milk from the flock. He gave them lambs and goats. They had the best rams of Pashan and the finest wheat. They drank the best wine made from the juice of red grapes. And that really is a good description of America and the British Commonwealth of Nations. We have the most resources in the entire world combined. Verse 15 of Deuteronomy chapter 32. But Jezreel became fat and kicked like a bull. Yes, you people were fed well and became full and fat. They left the God who made them, and that's what obesity and overweightness can do, ladies and gentlemen. It can make us take God for granted. They ran away from the rock, that's another name for Yeshua, who saved or Jesus, who saved them. Verse sixteen. They made him jealous by worshiping other gods. They made him angry with those disgusting idols. They offered sacrifice to demons, gods that are not God. These were new these were new gods. They had not known before, gods their ancestors never knew. You people left the rock who made you. You forgot the God who gave you life. And this is in the context of being fat, ladies and gentlemen. I just want to highlight that for you. And uh, the Lord saw this and became upset. His sons and daughters made him angry. He said, I will turn away from them then let's see what happens. They are rebellious people. They are like children who will not learn their lessons. They made me jealous with things that are not really God. They made me angry with their worthless idols. So I will use people who are not really a nation to make them jealous. I will use a worthless nations to make them angry. It says, my anger will burn like a fire burning down to the deepest grave, burning the earth and all it produces, burning deep down below the mountains. And, you know, that's sad, but, you know, God is very serious about uh, people and their attitudes about food and and one of the things that he doesn't want any of us to do is forget to obey him you know and and when we have blessings and so forth and 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 uh we we forget him he doesn't want that, and that's what happens generally when we have the things that we need. We we tend to forget God, and that's not right. That's not right. And God doesn't want us to do that. I'm trying to find a scripture here where it specifically talks about that. Let me find it here. I, think I already read it. Yep. I already read it, but I'll read it again in the King James. Deuteronomy 6, verse 11, and uh, actually verse 10. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall have brought thee into the land which he, and this is in the King James Version, in which he swore unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells dig, and which thou diggest not vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware. That's when you need to beware when you have got everything and, and, you're, and all your needs are satisfied. And then, of course, he ended here. He says, When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. So being a glutton Overeating has something to do with causing you to forget the Lord and not having the willingness to obey him. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 20. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 20. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says, they must say to the leaders of the town, okay, this is about the, the rebellious son and the fact that there is a law. If a son was this rebellious, that there was an option to kill him if, if if he was this rebellious but but this this would have to be an extreme case and of course we can't implement these laws today because people aren't uh in this country and worldwide aren't keeping the Torah of God. But anyway, Deuteronomy twenty one verse twenty uh verse nineteen his father and mother must then take him to the leaders. Well let's go to the let's look at the context here. Deuteronomy 21, verse 18, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. A man might have a son who is stubborn and refuses to obey. This son does not obey his father and mother. They punish his son, but he still refuses to listen to them. So the context is, is, is the context of rebellion and stubbornness. Verse 19, his father and mother must then take him to the leaders of the town at the town meeting place. Verse 20, they must say to the leaders of the town, our son is stubborn and refuses to obey. Our son is stubborn and refuses to obey. He does not do anything we tell him to do. He eats and he drinks too much. So, eating and drinking too much can cause stubbornness and rebellion. Stubbornness and rebellion and overeating. Being stubborn and rebel uh being what am i trying to say? Being rebellious and stubborn. Can result and overeating, or overeating, can result in being stubborn and not wanting to obey. All right, and then of course in verse twenty-one, then the man in the town must kill the son with stones. By doing this, you remove this evil from your group. Now I'm not suggesting people do this. Okay, we, we this is uh, assuming that God is in the center of everyone's lives and everything was way back it was back in the, in the days of Israel, uh, the congregation of Israel uh, today. We must obey as God commands us to do in Romans 13. We must obey the law of the land. And the law of the land, if you have a rebellious son, you, you do it a lot differently than this. So you you call the police, and the police will take him and put him in juvenile delinquent uh, a juvenile ju- a juvenile delinquent prison, in the hopes of rehabilitating him, and in the hopes of him or her, in the hopes that uh, they will learn to obey their parents. But anyway, but well, we don't take it upon ourselves to kill somebody like. It would be done here if everyone was obeying the torah and God was in the center of everyone's life so anyway um first samuel chapter fifteen verses twenty two to twenty three Okay, and the easy to read version of the Bible, first Samuel fifteen verse twenty two. But Samuel answered, Which pleases the Lord more, burnt offerings and sacrifices or obeying his commandments? It is or obeying his commands. It is better to obey the Lord than to offer sacrifices to him. So, you know, God he likes for you to give to him, but he wants you to obey him too. It is better to listen to him than to offer the fat from rams. Although he, he doesn't mind the fat from rams, but he would like for you to give to him as in a uh, in a way of obedience. So, you know, just giving to the whole world but not obeying God, that's not good enough. I mean, you have to, just like I read about Uncle Pete, and he's he's sincere. I can tell he's sincere. And God's not going to hold that against him, but I know when he's, uh, if he dies and he's resurrected and so forth, God is going to say, hey, you, you, you need to also keep my Shabbat and the holy days, and I don't think Uncle Pete's going to have a problem doing that. Uh, he already has the according to his works, he already has the will to obey God. And he's just going to be shown how to do it the right way, and he'll be able to enjoy eternal life and be in God's kingdom. Anyway, in First Samuel 15, verse 22, Samuel answered, which pleases the Lord more, burnt offerings and sacrifices, obeying his commands? It is better to obey the Lord than to offer sacrifice to him, and it is better to listen to him than to offer the fat from rams. Verse 23 of First Samuel chapter 15, refusing to obey Refusing to obey is as bad as the sin of sorcery. Being stubborn and doing what you want is like the sin of worshiping idols, idolatry. So whenever you disobey God and don't do what you want, you're really committing the sin of idolatry. Your God is yourself and the devil because the devil's children don't like obeying God. You refuse to obey the Lord's command, so he now refuses to accept you as king. All right, and then Samuel admitted, Saul admitted to Samuel, he says, I have sinned. I did not obey the Lord's commands, and I did not do what you told me. I was afraid of the people, and I did what they said. And see, this is another uh, lesson for young children as well as adults to learn. You shouldn't be afraid of the people. People can't do anything to you. As long as you have God on your side, nobody can be. Against you, meaning that nobody can oppose you, and ultimately hurt you and and stop you from entering the kingdom of God. So let's let's remember that. Okay, Proverbs twenty three verse two. Proverbs twenty three. Got thirty minutes left. Twenty eight minutes left. Proverbs 23, verse 2, in the easy-to-read version of the Bible, never eat too much, even if you are very hungry. So that's a good rule. I know many health practitioners tell us this. They tell us never to eat too much, uh, even if we're hungry. And then in verse 3, it says don't eat too much of his fine food. It might be a trick, and it's talking about something else here. But in verse 2, it says never eat too much, even if you are very hungry. That's That's a good rule to follow. We should never eat too much. We should do, as Paul stated, everything in moderation, including eating. Uh, in verse 20 or 21 of this same uh, chapter in Proverbs, chapter 23, says, Don't make friends with people who drink too much wine and eat too much food. Verse 21, Those who eat and drink too much become poor. They sleep too much and end up wearing rags. And that's true. When you overeat, when you become just... Not not moving, not doing anything. Eventually, you're, I just read to you the diseases that are caused by that. How can you work when you're sick like that? When you, when you get all those type of diseases, eventually you're not going to be able to work. And that's what God's talking about here. Those who eat and drink too much become poor. They sleep too much and end up wearing rags. You know, it causes when you sleep too much that causes sicknesses and disease. Many of those diseases were described to you earlier in this in this program. So it's, it's very important not to eat too much, folks, and you have to exercise. It's very important. Proverbs 28, verse 7. Proverbs 28, verse 7. It says, A smart son obeys the laws, or a smart anyone for that matter, but a son who spends time with worthless people brings shame to his father and... And God considers people that are gluttons, uh, eat too much, drink too much, are worthless. Verse seven: Those who keep the law is a son with understanding. This is in the, the um, reading. This in the English Standard Version, Proverbs twenty-eight, verse seven. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a com- companion of gluttons shames his father. So we need to stay away from folks like that, ladies and gentlemen. That's not all. It's going to do is destroy us. Now, Second Timothy chapter three, verses uh, one to nine. Read this in the English uh no in the easy to read version of the Bible. Second Timothy chapter three. And the the uh, easy to read version of the Bible. Remember this. In second Timothy three, verse one. Remember this. There are some terrible times coming in the last days. Verse two people will love only themselves and money, and that is if there's that is a perfect description of society today, ladies and gentlemen. People, most people only love themselves and money. They will be proud and boast about themselves. They will abuse others with insults. They will not obey their... And this is the first thing he mentioned, that people will be lovers of themselves and money. They will not obey their parents. They will be ungrateful and against all that is pleasing to God. They will have no love for others and will refuse to forgive anyone. They will talk about others to hurt them or have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. People will turn against their friends. They will do foolish things without thinking and will be so proud of themselves. Instead of loving God, they will love pleasure. That's the, you know, they just love to feel good. They will go on pretending to be devoted to God, but they will refuse to let that devotion change the way they live. Stay away from these people. Okay. So that that is good at the mission for everyone. 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 5-7. to seven. says, because you have these blessings, do all you can to add to your life these things. To your faith, add goodness. To your goodness, add knowledge. To your knowledge, add self-control. You have to have self-control. You can't eat too much. To your self-control, add patience. So self-control and patience is linked together. And to your patience, add devotion to God. To your devotion, add kindness and toward your, your brothers and sisters. To your devotion, add kindness toward your brothers and sisters in Christ. And to this kindness, add love. And verse 8, if all these things are in you and growing, you will never fail to be useful to God. You will produce the kind of fruit that should come from your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that's very important to remember. Also in Romans chapter 16, verse 8, Romans 16, verse 8, Romans 16, verse 18, I'm sorry. Romans chapter 16, verse 18. says, people like that are not serving our Lord Jesus Christ. They are only pleasing themselves. And God doesn't just want you to only please yourself. That's not what life's about. They use fancy talk and say nice things to fool those who don't know about evil. you know. And God doesn't want us to just please ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. It's not all about us and what we want. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 19. says, the way they live is leading them to destruction. They have replaced God with their own desires. You can't replace God with your own desires. And that's what happens when you overeat. That's what you're doing. Your God has become food. Whatever you lose control over, that is your God. They do shameful things, and they are proud of what they do. They think only about earthly things. You can't think only about earthly things and expect God to bless you or be pleased with you. He's not. He's not. Now, we must not be selfish, folks, and that's what overeating does. You're thinking about yourself. It's uh, so all you're thinking about is yourself. And Matthew 24, verse 12, uh, Yeshua confirms what um, Paul was stating here about the characteristics of the last days here. Matthew 24, verse 12. Matthew chapter 24 verse 12 states this So there will be so much more evil in the world that the love of most believers will grow cold. Now this this not just people who aren't believers, these are people who are believers. It says <laughs> in Matthew 24 verse 12 there will there will so much more there okay. Matthew 24 verse 12 in the uh, the easy to read version of the Bible there were so much more there will be, and this is, uh, I need to correct this in this version. But anyway, there will be so much more evil in the world that the love of most believers will grow cold, and that's sad, ladies and gentlemen. But that's a description of, of what's going to occur here. Now, earlier than this, he had mentioned um, in verse six of Matthew twenty-four, an easy-to-read version of the Bible. He says, "You will hear about wars." that are being fought, and you will hear stories about wars beginning. Don't be afraid. These things must happen before the end comes. Nations will fight against other nations. Kingdoms will fight against kingdoms. That word nation should be translated families. There will be times when there is no food for people to eat, and there will be earthquakes in, in different places. We're, we're current, that starting right now, as far as no food for people to eat, uh, we're having this financial crisis going to lead to that worldwide. Verse eight, These things are only the beginning of troubles, like the first pains of a woman giving birth. Then you will be arrested and handed over to be punished and killed. People all over the world will hate you because you believe in me. Verse 10. During that time, many believers will lose their faith. They will turn against each other and hate each other and realize this is going to happen because people aren't grounded in the word. They, they think that food is more important than God and pleasure, and they're and they're playing religion. And these people will be revealed, and they're going to lose their eternal life. Verse 11. Verse um, 11. They'll lose their faith and perhaps their eternal life. Verse 11, many false prophets will come and cause many people to believe things that are wrong. Verse 12, There will there will be so much more evil in the world that the love of most believers will grow cold. But the one who remains faithful to the end will be saved. And I like the complete Jewish Bible version translation of this verse matthew twenty four verse twelve and many people's love will grow cold because of increased distance from tor tor is the is translated law of god in in the old testament but what it should be it means uh the teachings or doctrines of god whatever god wants us to do whatever god wants us to to emulate or copy or his teachings In romans fifteen verse one to three romans fifteen verse one to three says in the uh, easy-to-read version of the Bible, some of us have no problem with these things, so we should be patient with those who are not so strong and have doubts. We should not do what pleases us. We shouldn't do what pleases us. Verse 2, but do what pleases them and is for their good. We should do whatever helps everyone grow stronger in faith. Verse 3, even Christ did not live trying to please himself. That wasn't his whole focus to try to please himself. As the scriptures say about him, those people who insulted you have also insulted me. So we should live our lives trying to please others, not just ourselves, folks. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Help each other with your troubles. When you do this, you are obeying the law of Christ. So that's what it's all about, folks. We have to help each other. As a family, we must help each other as human beings. We all come from one blood, and we all should be children of God, but what can make us children of the devil if we don't want to obey God? Philippians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. Don't be interested only in your own life, but care about the lives of others too. In your life together, think the way Christ Jesus thought. That's the way, and that's the way Christ did. Matter of fact, in the last couple of verses in John, well, let's turn there. John chapter 21. Verse 25. The last verse in John. Chapter 21, verse 25. There are many other things that Jesus did. Is every one of them were written down. I think the whole world would not be big enough for all the books that would be written. The reason why that could be said is because Jesus did not think about himself only. He thought about other people. He came to serve, as he stated quite a few times in the Gospels. He came to serve. He came to serve mankind. And that's the reason why that <laughs> there wouldn't be enough books written of the many things that he did, because that's all he focused his time on It was helping other people. And we have to, to become like that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 24. Try to do what is good for others, not just what is good for yourself. So we should try to do what is good for others, not just what is good for ourselves. And in verse 33, I do the same thing. I try to please everyone in every way. I am not trying to do what is good for me. I am trying to do what is good for the most people so they can be saved. That's our attitude, and that's the attitude that we should have for everyone. Now, a husband and wife a husband and wife, should help each other with their problems. If God is telling us the assembly, which includes husband and wife, should help each other, of course a husband and wife should help each other as well. Now, I don't know if many of you realize this. I just realized this myself just thinking about it, but... The last name is a family name, according to Wikipedia. The wife's last name is changed to her husband's last name when she becomes married, in most cases. all right, The wife becomes a part of her husband's family. She becomes one with him, and the husband becomes one with his wife. Now, you know what Genesis 2, verse 24 said, that God created a woman to be a help to the man. A lot of women don't understand that. They, they, they think that they can be separate from their husbands and... and a lot of women feel this way. Not everyone, but quite a few, a significant amount anyway. So they can separate from their husbands and be married to their husbands. That that, that's, that doesn't make any sense according to the Scriptures. Uh, Genesis 2, verse 24. In verse 23 it says, And a man said, Finally, one like me, with bones from my bones and a body from my body. She was taken out of a man, so I will call her woman. Verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2 in an easy-to-read version of the Bible. This is why a man leaves his father and mother And is joined to his wife. He's joined to his wife. In this way, two become two people. In this way, two people become one. And that's what a marriage is about. I don't need anyone to tell me what a marriage is about. God has already showed me what a marriage is about. And he showed you through me by me reading the scriptures to you. Matthew chapter 19 verse 5. And God said, this is why... This is Yeshua's own words here. And God said, this is why a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two people will become one. He just referred to the scripture that I just read to you in Genesis. And then Mark chapter 10, verses 7 to 8. If I don't get through with this, I'll continue this uh, next week. uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 7 to 8. This is why a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And the two people will become one, so they are no longer two, but one. Verse nine: God has joined them together, so no one should separate them. And that's unfortunately, that is the, the type of attitude that many Americans have today in terms of marriage. If things don't work out, we want to separate, or the wives or the husband, husband can be just as selfish as the wife at times. They want to separate their income. No, you're joined together. Your income. Is not separate, it's together. Everything is together. You're one. And that is the biblical teaching on that, despite what anyone want to deceive you with. Ephesians four verses nine to twelve. No, not Ephesians. Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes and here's another um scripture that'll help you understand this. Ecclesiastes chapter four, verses nine to twelve. Two people are better than one. That's a marriage. When two people work together, they get more work done. Verse ten. If one person falls, the other person can reach out to help. Ecclesiastes uh, four verses nine to twelve. If, well, I think it's more verses than that. Yeah, no, it's not. Ecclesiastes chapter four verses nine to twelve in the easy read version of the Bible. Two people are better than one. When two people work together, they get more work done. Verse 10, if one person falls, the other person can reach out to help. And, you know, God stated that it wasn't good for man to be alone. That's why he created a woman through the man. Verse 10, if one person falls, the other person can reach out to help. But those who are alone when they fall have no one to help them. So when the wife is having problems, the husband helps her out. When the husband's having problems, the wife helps the husband out. And together, together, they get more work done. Verse 11, if two people sleep together as a husband and wife, they will be warm. But a person sleeping alone will not be warm. Verse 12, an enemy might be able to defeat one person, but two people can stand back to back to defend each other. And three people are even stronger. They are like a rope that has three parts wrapped together. It is very hard to break. This this actually um, hints toward having a family. Um, my My family, I have... My wife and to my son, we're three. And if we all are together and stand together and work together, we'll accomplish a lot. But if we all go our separate ways and do what we want, we're going to have problems. That's that's with any type of group or team or family. Okay. Now, I'm going to refer to this article. How much time do I have left? Not too much. Okay, ten minutes. This is an article uh, that... It says, are you worse off than mom and dad? Get this off of c- cnnmoney.com. You can just Google this. Are you worse off than mom and dad? And this is by uh, Jeannie Sahadi, CNN Money Senior Writer. Uh, this was written in New York back in 2003, September 11th, but uh, it applies today. It says, if you feel, oh, this is written in September 11th. Oh, 2003, not 2001. Uh, if you feel like it's harder to provide the kind of middle class upbringing your kids and your parents gave you, you may be right. So it says if you feel like it's harder to provide the kind of middle class upbringing for your kids, for your kids that your parents gave you, you might be right. Well, it's not the fact that. Uh, oh, it says you may be right. You are right <laughs> based on the the uh, context of the article. It says, according to Elizabeth Warren and Amelia Warren, uh, Taggai, Tayagi, rather, co-authors of The Two-Income Trap, Why Middle-Class Mothers and Fathers Are Going Broke. uh, That's a book. So it says, uh, The Two-Income Trap, Why Middle-Class Mothers and Fathers Are Going Broke. The average two-income middle-class family today earns 75% more than the typical single-income family did 30 years ago. But today's family, they say, ends up with less money for everyday living expenses and savings. And I'm not going to go into detail about that, but that tells you that, unfortunately, in the light of Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 to 12, two incomes are better than one uh, because of society the way it is today. Uh, most husbands and wives have to both work, although God never intended it to be that way. And uh, Titus 2, verse 5 states the following here, Titus two verse five it says uh, they will teach them to be wise and pure to take care of their home I'm talking about the wives to be kind and to be willing to serve their husbands then no one will be able to criticize the teaching God gave us so a woman a wife should be willing to serve her husband I was going to go into more detail about this but that that's in a future broad, broad, broadcast I only have eight minutes left here I have to get to the uh, what the type of Craving we should have versus the wrong type of craving. First Corinthians chapter ten verse six, or, or lusting or coveting. It states here in, a, in the easy to read version of the Bible it says, and these things, and these things that happen are examples for us. It's talking about what the Israelites did. I read some of the things that they did. These examples should stop us from wanting evil things like those people did. If you want evil things, that's also the wrong type of desire. That's coveting in the wrong way. So you should not want evil things, ladies and gentlemen, or things that will harm people. Uh, in James chapter 1, verses 14 to 15, says, You are tempted by the evil things you want. Your own desire leads you away and traps you. Your desire grows inside you until it results in sin. Then the sin grows bigger and bigger and finally ends in death. So, we can't be tempted by the evil things that we want. Okay, and then James chapter 4. You want to know the reason why wars exist or arguments? James chapter 4, verse 1. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that make war inside you. I'm going to read this real (laughs) and emphasize this, okay, for people who have issues and problems with husbands and wives that argue with each other, okay? Verse 1. Do you know where your fights and arguments come from? They come from the selfish desires that make war inside you. All right? And this applies also to the spirit of war. Verse 2, You want things, but you don't get them. So you kill and are jealous of others, but you still cannot get what you want. So you argue and fight. You don't get what you want because you don't ask God. Or, verse 3 of James chapter 4, When you ask, you don't receive anything because the reason you ask is wrong. You only want to use it for your own pleasure. And that's why God doesn't give us a lot of things because a lot of times when we ask him for something, it has selfish interest and God hates that. Verse 4, you people are not faithful to God. You should know that loving what the world has is the same as hating God. So anyone who wants to be friends with this evil world becomes God's enemy. So he relates this when you lust for things that you, that you really don't need and are evil things, God relates that to the world. Our desire, how much time I have left? Five minutes. Our desires should be toward God first, ladies and gentlemen. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Colossians 3, verses 1 to 2. In the easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says, you were raised from death with Christ, so live for what is in heaven. That's what we should be living for, what's in heaven, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Verse 2 of Colossians. Think only about what is up there not what is here on the earth, meaning that your whole focus should be of the things of heaven, not of the things of the earth. Okay? And then in verse 5 of Colossians, it says, so put everything evil out of your life, sexual sin, doing anything immoral, letting sinful thoughts control you, and wanting things that are wrong. That's coveting in the wrong way. And don't keep wanting more and more for yourself, which is the same as worshiping a false god. That's what the easy-to-read version states there. And in Psalm 48, verse 2, if you want to think of physical things, God prefers you to think of these physical things. In Psalm 48, verse 2, says, Beautiful in his elevation, oops, easy-to-read version of the Bible, His city, which is Jerusalem, okay, well, let's start in verse 1. How much time do I have left here? Four minutes. Okay, an easy read version of the Bible, Psalm 48, verse 1. A song of praise from the Korah family. The Lord is great. He is praised throughout the city of our God, his holy mountain, which is Jerusalem. Verse 2. His city is such a pleasant place. It brings joy to the people from around the world. Mount Zion is the true mountain of God. It is the city of the great king. That's where we need to put our physical aspirations toward, ladies and gentlemen, Jerusalem. And then uh, our desire should be towards that. And let me um, see if I can find another scripture here. Based on that. See. Type in Jerusalem here. And Psalm. go Psalm 137 Psalm 137 verse 5 in easy to read version about Jerusalem if I ever forget you may I never play a song again if I fail to remember you may I never sing again I will always remember Jerusalem as my greatest joy so Jerusalem as far as physical structure should be our greatest joy why? Because God is going to dwell there. He, he, That's where he wishes to live on the earth. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21. It says, It is wrong to say bad things about your neighbors. Be kind to the poor, and you will be blessed so that that is a something to really follow ladies and gentlemen and uh it's very important to feel that way and and to and to care about people and i was going to read this uh how much time i have about how a good woman a wife should act toward her husband it says in proverbs 31 verse 10 an excellent wife who can find she is far more precious than jewels the heart of her husband trusts her and he will have no lack of gain She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And if you just read the rest of this, it shows how a woman works together with her husband, uh, a good wife works together with her husband to please her husband and everyone else in the family. So, and this is Proverbs chapter 10, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 10 to 31. All right, so this concludes uh, this uh, Bible study. I will touch on some other things I didn't touch on next week. May God bless and keep you, and God willing, I will be with you next week. And remember, the new start time of this program is at 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Thank you for listening, and may God bless and keep you. Malachi Chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble.